How do you feel about your office? Is it just a space for employees to work, or is it a space where your employees do their best work? When you're in the right space, it can bring your teams closer together and be where the best talent wants to work. When you're in the right space, it can make your life easier. Whether it's a new HQ or a satellite office, with WeWork, you can find a space that works for you. Visit we.co slash space matters to learn more. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Bird Gang Blitz on By This Week with the Arizona Cardinals. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Johnny's Football. Johnny, how are you doing tonight? Good, Blake. How are you, sir? Doing well. Doing quite a bit better than the Cardinals' playoff hopes, it would seem, this year. So uh, let's get into this, because the St. Louis Rams game was, in essence, a microcosm of the season, it seemed. Um, We just saw a team that went in and completely uh, completely gave up it felt like in the first half or in the second half I should say at least once Carson Palmer went down and there was very little that it seemed like they could be done about it uh, I, I just felt like it was an area where you saw the offense didn't work the defense didn't work special teams didn't work uh, Carson Palmer went down with an injury and overall fans are just frustrated because it felt like this is inevitable uh, what are some of your thoughts on the game Yeah, I think you touched on it, Blake. This was a game to forget in all three phases. I think going into this game, we thought there was an opportunity for the Cardinals coming off that game against Tampa Bay to have some success offensively. I think that they knew they were going to be challenged on defense. Uh, The Rams uh, surprisingly have the number one offense in football and coming over from you know, the United States to London, that road trip, we knew that the defense was going to be tested by Sean McVay and what he's been able to do with with Jared Goff and the resurgence of Todd Gurley. But, but, you know, at the same time, we thought that Adrian Peterson in this Cardinal running game was going to be able to continue the success they had the week before uh, against uh, a Rams rush defense that that has been subpar, that has been below average. Um, And we saw on on the first drive of the day had some success. Uh, The offense moved pretty seamlessly down the field and, um, you know, uncharacteristically for them, uh, or not uncharacteristically for them, I should say, uh, got inside the red zone and, and stubbed their toe and, um, Phil Dawson promptly missed, uh, a chip shot field goal in the way they went. Uh, and we'll get into, you know, the special team blunders a little bit later on, I'm sure, but, uh, that kind of set the tempo for the rest of the game and the Rams probably went down and scored, uh, and never look back, but really was a, a microcosm of the entire game. The Cardinals had an opportunity to kind of set the tempo uh, for the rest of the game and, and and assert their assert their dominance early on and and continue success from the week before. But really, other than uh, the first half against the Tampa Bay game, this team really has been sleepwalking for most of the season, and um, it's unfortunate. And we'll talk about the Palmer injury, but um, really it. it what it does is it puts the season kind of in perspective now for this team. Um, and it allows everybody to kind of sit back and, and look at, at this team as a whole. And um, we're not kidding ourselves anymore. This is not a playoff roster. Um, this is probably not a 500 roster. This is a team that has struggled to get to three and four. This is a team that probably should be around the one and one and six, two and five mark to say the least. So um it's, it was an opportunity to kind of set the bar against a, a team that's on the rise against um, the, the uh, I want to call them the St. Louis Rams, the L.A. Rams, who are clearly ascending. And then the Arizona Cardinals, who uh, statistically are the oldest team in the NFL and um, 
and the Rams, who are one of the youngest teams in the league. So uh, very frustrating in all three phases. And so the Cardinals are shut out for the first time since 2012 when they were shut out in Seattle. Uh, and if you can remember, Blake, that was the last time where we had a coaching change, a GM change, and really it was a culture shock for this franchise. And will we see that again this offseason? Who knows? But uh, that remains to be seen. But again, it feels like an, an altering um, offseason ahead for this franchise. Yeah, I definitely agree. And just looking at some of the stats from the game, it becomes really evident just how um, how far this team is falling. You take a look at like if the team last year had a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. You look at them this year with the points per game, and they're at 17 points a game that they're having. And that's basically good enough for tied for 27th with the Colts. You take a look at how many points they're giving up per game, and it's 27. So you can see automatically they're scoring 17 points and giving up 27. That's tied. That's 31st in the league that they're giving up for each game. So this is a team that is probably, you could make an argument, might be the second worst defense in the league at least, and the offensive output is just uh, is miserable. Uh, the Rams game, their, uh, their youth really showed up, especially in this game, but especially the coaching. Uh, Sean McVay has done an incredible job. Well, Jared Goff was well-protected throughout the whole game. I don't believe I even saw him outside of a coverage sack late uh, where he, or the late pick where he threw to Dale Buchanan. There really wasn't anything that was notable about uh, anything that uh, Jared Goff did where it was having to put the game on his shoulders. The Rams had more rushing yards than the Cardinals had total yards of offense in the game. Cardinals had 196 yards, and some of that's because they lost Carson Palmer. Drew Stanton came in, but... Uh, just seeing how Arians abandoned the run, how he gave up uh, basically what their game plan was going in. Uh, and it was, it was just frustrating to watch as you're seeing Rams players who just flown in on that Friday are standing there on the defensive line, just open wide yawning because of how tired they are and putting nine men in the box. And Arizona seems to have no idea what to do since once they can't run the football and they couldn't protect Carson Palmer, the Rams just basically feasted and after a while Palmer gets one bad hit and that kind of ends up going with uh, your season there. So it's just an area where you get frustrated because you see and feel that there's more talent on this team than they've shown. You get the feeling that the coaching is better on this team than they've shown, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's something we've been over overestimating perhaps some of the Cardinals decisions. Uh, let's talk a little bit about with the quarterback situation moving forward, the big debate that's going on right now. And once you start talking about quarterback debates, that's kind of when, you know, you're back to those 2012 years, again, kind of another Wizen Hunt comparison, uh, Stanton or Gabber, which is the one you've got Johnny and why? I mean, if I had a choice, I would have chosen neither going into the season, but if, you know, if young to my head, I, I would go with Gabber just because, you know, you're always going to go with the unknown. We've seen what, Stanton can and can't do offensively uh, and how limited he is. Uh, He's got one of the worst completion percentages for starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, He's almost sub 50% when he starts for this franchise. Uh, One of the most misleading stats is his win-loss record. I think it's more uh, of who he's faced when he's faced teams. Um, Yes, he rattled off, I think, five wins in 2014. That was a commendable job that he did. Uh, He's been a nice quality backup for this team. But again, um, he was playing with house money in 2014, uh, and that team was riding off the momentum of Todd Bowles and that defense. And Todd Bowles, rightfully so, got the Jets job after that season. That was not an offensive juggernaut of a team. Um, 
I would go with Blaine Gabbert. I think Blaine Gabbert to me has, has got enough upside to where maybe you can get some kind of a Josh McCown-esque kind of run a la, you know, 2014, 2015 Chicago Bears run where McCown came in and played well, or you can get that type of, of run where somebody can come in um, like a Blaine Gabbert and spark an offense with his mobility, with his arm strength. Listen, he's still a relatively young guy. He's under 30 years old. He doesn't have the hits on his body. He should know the offense by now. I heard Bill O'Brien say yesterday, these guys aren't rookies anymore. I don't want to hear that, you know, Blaine doesn't know the offense. He's been in the league for five plus years. He's a pro quarterback. He's a smart guy. Um, You know, and he has a lot of plus traits. You know, I know Drew Stanton was a second round pick. Blaine was a top 10 pick in a loaded class. I know he was an incredibly, you know, egregious pick considering the talent around him. But at the same time, you know, he's somebody that I would roll the dice on uh, it's embarrassing at this point that that we're even having this conversation. Quite frankly, you know, mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes or Mitch Trubisky or Deshaun Kaiser should be starting for this franchise right now, and we should be talking about the prospect of 2018. Or, you know, I think Deshaun, you know, Watson or Patrick Mahomes could potentially lead this franchise to the postseason with a couple of breaks, uh, and I think it would re-energize this roster. Um, because I think the NFC is, is up for grabs. I think the rest of the, the teams, quite frankly, are not that good. I think there's a lot of parity. I think that's what Roger Goodale wants. I think that he wants a lot of eight and eight, nine and seven, ten and six. Um, so it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we're having these conversations. And I think that that's, you know, that's an error on Steve Keim and Bruce Arians, but that's a conversation for later. Um, so again, I've seen what Drew Stanton has to offer. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm a little bit upset with Bruce Arians and some of his con- uh, comments post-game with the fact that he basically said, well, we put Drew in a, in a position where he wasn't able to be successful. We put him in a tough spot. That's what you are as a backup. All I hear, you know, from head coaches is, well, you got to be ready to come in. You got the clipboard. You got to be ready. You're always, you know, seeing the backup sit right next to the starting quarterback. They're right next to the head coach. They got the headset on. They got to be ready to come in at any time. You know, Carson's one of the most immobile injury prone quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, Drew knows how this goes. He's active every week. Um, So I don't want to hear about, you know, he's played plenty of games in the NFL. He's got plenty of starting experience. Um, he's seen the Rams before he's played against them before. I don't want to hear that he wasn't ready to go. Um, and it sure as hell looks like he wasn't ready to go. So that's, that's incredibly frustrating to hear. And I, um, I think that that's, that's a testament to, to the, to his skills probably eroding at this point. And I think that, um, you know, it's going to be a struggle for him to keep this team, you know, competitive week in and week out. And I think by the time that we eventually see Blaine, and I do think we'll see Blaine at some point, um, things are going to get out of hand quickly. So, you know, the Seattle game on Thursday night, that could get ugly. Um, and I think they will bring Palmer back at some point, though. I did see that, you know, if you're joining us uh, later on this week, you probably know this by now, but the day we are recording, they are bringing, uh, putting Palmer on IR. So the earliest he can come back is week 16. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Palmer and his legacy. I'm sure as an Arizona Cardinal, I do think he's a top three uh, Cardinal of all time. Uh, but I do think, assuming he's healed properly, I think he's going to want to play uh, the final two games of the regular season, assuming he can play. Um, I fully expect the Cardinals to be out of playoff contention. I think that's just – those are going to be his swan songs with the team, a kind of a, a goodbye uh, to the franchise and to play his final two games with Larry Fitzgerald. And 
Um, so I fully expect him to play those games if he's healthy. But moving forward, these these next couple of weeks, I, I fully expect Stanton to struggle. They'll turn to Blaine Gabbert. It's going to be frustrating if Blaine plays well because maybe you miss on an opportunity. Um, and then you know Blake, this is a this is a winnable game coming up here after the bye uh, against a San Francisco team that's winless. But it's incredibly embarrassing if you drop this game uh, with Drew Stanton. But I'm sure that you know. Uh, Bruce Aarons is going to sell it to, you know, that Stanton won this game last year in San Francisco. To me, that means nothing. This completely different coaching staff under different circumstances with different rosters. But um, who knows? Who knows what Bruce is thinking at this point? So. Yeah, definitely. No, with, uh, with some of Arians' comments, especially uh, after the game where he talked about the lack of effort, that was one of the things that was a little bit surprising to people. DJ Humphreys um, said that he thought that they gave maximum effort. They just, you know, got their butts handed to them. Uh, so part of me just wonders how much of that's on the coaching. Um, if Stanton wasn't prepared to go into the game, then that's something that also falls on the coaching. And Arians is kind of saying, you know, he did fall on the sword there, said we didn't put him in a position to succeed. But if you're not putting your backup quarterback in a spot where he can come into the game and be able to deliver, then you're really just not – not really doing a good job you're not doing a good job plain and simple when I was at the Rattlers we had a season where it was just before the bye the team had gone on to play a team that they'd already crushed earlier in the year it was a division rival and they went over to their home territory as a currently undefeated team a more talented team and they gave up I believe six sacks in the first half and just got their butts handed to them uh, it was so bad that their starting quarterback was benched uh, the, the backup came in he didn't do as much uh, better as far as he didn't have a spark or anything that was brought in. And even though arena football is different, the biggest thing with that is that the team went on to win a championship that year, but the whole reasoning behind why they struggled and everything just from being behind the scenes was because they had the bye next week and they took their eyes off of their opponents. They looked ahead to the bye week. They kind of took it simple. They took it easy and they let off the gas pedal and the other team came out. So an opportunity bit them for it. That is not at all how I think the Rams game went. When you're looking at this team being three and three at 500 playing a divisional rival that uh, has been looking like one of the best teams in a London game. It just felt like the team wasn't looking past the Rams at all. It felt like that they were giving that effort. They just didn't have, whether it was the talent, whether it was the coaching, whether it was just a general belief in themselves and their ability to win, they just felt like it was missing. And that's something that I think with Drew Stanton, you're going to at least see a lot of the qualities of, that you want in the backup. There's belief that they have in him. Uh, there's a lot of belief that he's able to kind of go out there and get a win. Last year against the Niners, Bruce Arians ran the ball heavily uh stanton only completed 11 passes he threw the ball 28 times eventually they finally started running the ball in the second half david johnson got 28 carries uh and that's really what ultimately separated and why the cardinals won that game was because they relied on the run they were able to use the play action and they were able to um, ultimately deliver a win that means arians is going to have to do the opposite of what he did in this last game and be able to run the football, use Adrian Peterson, who even though he had a setback last week, a lot of that was versus nine-man fronts. So the Rams were just determined to not let the Cardinals run the ball. So maybe you look at Stanton, some of that you think you've got a chance. But I really think that the Niners, honestly, if I have to look at this game, with Palmer, maybe it doesn't concern you as much. Then you look at the last Niners game at home and how they struggled, and you look at the team now with Stanton, it's really hard to see how many wins this team will be able to get with Drew Stanton, a quarterback. This isn't that same elite defense in 2014, like you said. 
Uh, one more thing, at least just to touch on before we move on with, um, for Gabbert, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about Gabbert later with the future of this team. Um, right now, this is something that uh, I believe it's been remarked on earlier in the week. Some uh, AZ media has talked about it, but you're paying Drew Stanton three and a half million dollars this season. This is exactly why you're paying him that money. He needs to be able to stand up and deliver, um, to be able to show that he can return that faith he put in. If he's not able to do that and he goes out there and looks miserable and is rough, then that's another move that's going to reflect poorly on Steve Kime just for, um, for how long they kept Stanton Arians has a great deal of loyalty to him. And even though they went out to try to find either a, a better backup or to challenge him this year with Blaine Gabbert, uh, it really comes into question exactly what their plan was going to be. If let's say Palmer had a, you, know, you never want to talk about career ending injury, but we're getting to that stage where we might be talking about this is if Palmer can't come back in time by week 16 is, as he played his last snap in the NFL. Uh, as for Gabbert, the Cardinals have been very interesting. I, I think honestly that Blaine Gabbert was signed by the team despite it being on a one-year deal, not for 2017, but rather for 2018. Maybe further if he plays well, but with Blaine Gabbert, they really had no point in keeping three quarterbacks this year because you already had Drew Stanton as your established backup. You didn't draft a rookie this year to keep on your roster. Uh, Gabbert, there's no, no reason at least you couldn't have just kept a guy on the practice squad like Zach Dysart or even Matt Barkley a little bit ago. The biggest issue is that when you're talking about with playing Blaine Gabbert just to kind of see what he has – I think a lot of that can be a little misguided. And I've been a little different from some Cardinals fans who wanted to see Blaine Galbert. And I do think we'll see Gabbert this season, but I feel like it's almost a lose lose. If you're going to end up playing Blaine Gabbert and let's say that he goes out, has a Josh McCown run plays very, plays at a high level. You're actually able to see this team rally off a couple of wins. I don't think you'll be able to keep him. And I think that part of it is, is that maybe you could look at the Cardinals if Carson Palmer doesn't come back, but how much are you going to be willing to pay Blaine Gabbert, uh, we've seen how it's gone before with teams like with Josh McCown moving on to his next team with the Bucks. how he struggled badly. Looked at how Blaine Gabbert went with the Niners and ended up being uh, benched and replaced by Colin Kaepernick. If Gabbert does go out there, ends up having success, maybe David Johnson comes back and he's able to find a scheme that fits and he's able to be protected. It kind of was a question of what's going to be his value. Teams are paying a lot for quarterbacks. You've seen Mike Glennon make a lot of money and look how a lot of those moves have backfired. And I don't think that Blaine Gabbert's a guy you can say, at least at this point, is a guy who you think can be a long-term successful start in the NFL. Maybe he is, but the track record right now wouldn't seem to say that at all. Now, if you put out Blaine Gabbert, and let's say that he goes out there and it turns into a John Skelton or Ryan Lindley kind of situation where it's 2012, you don't know who you're going to play each week. You're ending up in seven, six games, or you're having to go into play Seattle and you're going to be playing two quarterbacks in the game just trying to get a spark uh, in a huge blowout loss. And if Gabbert goes out and struggles, and I think that you kill whatever confidence or chance you have of bringing him back in 2018. And outside of Palmer, there's it's not a quarterback that's really on the roster at all. Uh, they don't have Drew Stanton pass this year. Blaine Gabbert signed a one-year deal. You really would be kind of starting over from scratch, having to find another backup. So from what I've said, at least, and I know maybe people disagree with me, but I would keep Gabbert inactive as long as I could or at least not maybe inactive, but keep him in as the backup and try to focus on uh, keeping him there. If, if your whole idea behind Blaine Gabbard is that he's never had a good offensive line, he's always had a different scheme every year, you're kind of introducing the same reason why he struggled in the first place then by just dumping him into the middle of Arizona. I, I do think that you'd be able to keep him for cheap where uh, if he doesn't play throughout the year, there's not going to be a team that's going to be willing to bank on him or pay him 
more than Arizona could just because he had a few ex, uh, few good preseason games at least. So I think that we are going to end up seeing Blaine Gabbert. I think that they'll go with Drew Stanton for a little bit, um, but I think that Steve Keim is ultimately going to be the one who will make that decision. I think they'll want to see what they have. I would personally disagree, but uh, I think that's more based off of – I believe that if Blaine Gabbert's a guy who you think could be a backup you know, for – three more years into the future behind uh, a rookie that the Cardinals could draft, then maybe that's the case you go for. And uh, just kind of finishing off with the quarterback spot. I think it's interesting that Palmer is actively seeking to try to come back. Uh, he's not going to be able to come back earlier. He was pushing for the four to six weeks. The fact that he still loves the game and is still passionate about it, at least is a positive when it comes to 2018, because uh, even though I still believe that this might be, that this is probably going to end up being his last year. I think that he Arians and fits the writing seems to be on the wall for all three. If he takes a look at um, his own rookie year where he was able to be a, uh, an understudy, at least for a veteran quarterback city year, that may be kind of the best case scenario for Arizona where you're not going to be forcing yourself into a situation. Uh, but let's be real. Like you said, we'd much rather have had the team of Patrick Mahomes. We'd much rather have the team have Deshaun Watson waiting in the wings and because we can see that these are guys who are probably going to be something special in the league. As of right now, Kyle made that decision to not trade it up. In hindsight, you can say it's painful. At the time, he didn't think so. He thought they were still competing, and it's been a costly mistake. He's now backed himself into a corner along with uh, with the rest of the team. Uh, and as a result, you're, you've just got nothing but questions. Uh, let's go and talk a little bit now just about the coaching staff currently and just a little bit about their futures. We've had Arians retirement rumors that have gone through this week. Uh, he's shot them down. Let's talk a little bit about him as well as the jobs that James Betcher, uh, Amos Jones has done, and then just some of the future on the staff as far as when it comes to Harold Goodwin uh, and maybe even a guy who's getting some love with the offensive coordinator and Byron Leftwich. Talk a little bit. What are your thoughts about the coaches, about their future? Should they have a future past the season in Arizona? Well, it's difficult because if you would have asked me about a year ago, I've always been a big fan of Harold Goodwin and the job that he has done with the talent, <clears throat> excuse me, that he's had on the offensive line and what he's been able to do with some of the makeshift parts that he's been given. Uh, I thought he did a nice job specifically toward the, the latter half of last season um, going up to Seattle and running the football as effectively as, as they did and getting the, and that victory and, and keeping the offense afloat and, and having a resurgence offensively. Uh, I thought that he was a big part of that. And, um, you know, a lot of the good things that they've done uh, the last couple of years offensively, I think he's been uh, a key part of that. Uh, in 2014, the second half of the season, when they were able to run the football with Kerwin Williams involved as their lead back, I thought Harold did a nice job with the offensive line. Um, I don't think he's a he's a you know a great play caller per se. I don't think he's somebody who's going to you know be lining up for offensive coordinator positions. Um, you know post Bruce Arians retirement. Uh, I, I definitely think he's somebody that hopefully should have a nice long NFL career, whether that's going to be in Arizona. I'm not sure. Uh, I think James Betcher is probably in his final season as the Arizona Cardinals defensive coordinator. I think he's shown that, you know, the further we get away from Todd Bowles, uh, the more average this unit becomes. And it's, it's very, it's very disappointing because you look at that 2014 unit, that's probably the worst unit collectively defensively with, with the talent that we've had compared to 2013, 2015, 2016, and 2017. You could argue 2014 with, you know, a four, next to 40-year-old Larry Foote starting an inside linebacker, that might have been the worst unit 
you know, that we've had. And that was one of the best pure defenses that we've had. And it was coached by Todd Bowles that led him to get the head coaching job for the New York Jets. So, um, you know, I think James Betcher's in his final year, assuming Bruce Arians is gone. I think he'll get no consideration for the head coaching job. Um, and then you look at Amos Jones. I think he should have been um, fired uh, after the 2015 season, after the playoff debacle in Carolina. I think he should have been fired after the 2014 season, after the playoff debacle in Carolina. Uh, you know, it's, it's completely redundant, but you could say it after every season. Uh, their, their special teams cost them a playoff berth a year ago. Their special teams have probably cost them two or three victories already this season. Um, you know, they get embarrassed week in and week out on special teams. They have no advantage in their, in their return game at all. So um, it's, it's difficult to assess the coaching staff right now because I feel like they get out coach week in and week out. Now in the early days of the Bruce Arians coaching staff, like we touched on earlier, I thought we had an advantage week in and week out, but right now, you know, moving forward, I think that, you know, once Bruce decides to, hang them up and move on. I think that you'll see Michael and Steve have a, have a conversation about starting fresh with the coaching staff. At least I hope so. Um, because Bruce Arians is, is the glue to the franchise. And the more I think about it, I think was how, how close was Todd Bowles and is Todd Bowles in coaching capacity to Bruce Arians? I think they're a lot closer than, than maybe people realize with the job that he's doing with the New York Jets and the talent level that he has there. I mean, that's a team on paper with just an egregious talent level. And they're ultra competitive and should have beaten New England and should have beaten Miami and should only have maybe one or two losses on the season. And for Todd Bowles to be doing what he's doing and for Bruce Arians to probably be underachieving for the talent level that he has – the last two seasons is, is very disappointing. So I think, and that's a question I posed on Twitter the um, about a week ago is, how, you know, I think that's a question I think that needs to be asked more is, you know, that doesn't get asked a lot is, you know, we don't compare Todd Bowles and Bruce Arians enough. I think Todd Bowles is a tremendous head coach. And, you know, if, if the Jets were to fire him, you know, I don't, I don't love the idea of, of hiring a defensive head coach, but I would, I would definitely entertain the idea of, of bringing Todd Bowles back. Um, but I, I would also want to make sure that, fingers crossed, I'm getting a young quarterback in the draft and I'm, I'm pairing that young individual up with an offensive head coach. That's just my philosophy. That's, that's how I would want to do things. That's how I, I would want to build my team. But there's nobody on this coaching staff to me that stands out. Byron left, which to me, um, I think the intentions were good. I think that's, that's somebody who they have, you know, again – if, if this offense were progressing like they hoped, Carson would have stayed healthy. If this offense were to have continued the upswing of the second half of last season that we saw um, and things were clicking on all cylinders, I think we would be talking about Byron Lefwich as, you know, a future offensive coordinator right there with Harold Goodwin. But we're not because it's one of the worst offenses in the NFL right now. And Bruce Arians is under scrutiny for his play calling. And this team – is giving up, you know, you know, quarterback hits at, you know, a league leading percentage and the offensive lines in shambles and they're down to their second string quarterback and they don't have David Johnson. So right now, I know injuries can derail a season, uh, but you can't make excuses. Everybody has them. And, um, you know, the Cardinals were, if you can recall, relatively healthy going through the summer. It wasn't until recently that the injury bugs started to happen, um, but they lost their best player, uh, 
David, the first game of the season, they lost their left tackle. They just lost their quarterback. So the fragile state of this team has, has erupted to the point now where this coaching staff is not strong enough to hide the flaws of this roster. And so what does that tell you? It tells you that the general manager did not do a good enough job in creating a strong enough roster to overcome these injuries. And again, how strong of a roster is it when your best player is a running back and it completely derails your season? I posed that question in week two. And again, DJ Humphreys went down and I know that caused a ripple effect on the offensive line and his return has is, is helped, you know, to some effect. And it, it would be great to see him string together, you know, nine to 10 consecutive starts and have a nice finish to the season, but that remains to be seen. But Carson Palmer should absolutely 100% be backed up by a rookie quarterback right now. And it's an absolute joke that he's not that we're sitting here in 2017, that he came to this team five years ago, you know, an old quarterback then, and that his heir apparent is still not on the roster. I mean, I I don't mean to get off on a side rant here, but it just, to (laughs) me that, 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 that's poor coaching and poor and poor miss that's poor mismanagement in itself. And so, you know, I, I, that that to me is just just such an egregious error. I don't know how you can tout any of these coaches as and and here's what here's what would get a Harold Goodwin over Byron Leftwich noticed is if Blaine Gabbert were to come in and post you know a two to one touchdown to interception uh, ratio and lead the Cardinals to the playoffs. That would get them uh, some notice as a future offensive coordinator. That's what they need to do. Yeah, it's interesting talking about Todd Bowles just because there's a very similar relationship between Arians and Todd Bowles as there was with Bruce Arians and Chuck Pagano. A lot of Colts fans basically felt that they kept the wrong guy after Arians left. You saw his success in Arizona while the Colts had one good season with an AFC championship run. And after that, they just kind of went down and into the tank. And part of it was just because for the same problems, their quarterback just kept getting hit. Uh, the Colts even still had a much worse defense in the Cardinals than they still do. Um, but overall, it was just interesting to make that comparison. Last year, I know there was plenty of Jets fans who I talked to and asking about Todd Bowles saying, hey, we kind of want him back here in Arizona after Betcher. They would just go off about how awful of a coach he was, the baffling decisions he was making. And it shows a lot of cases with fans and with how our perception is. It really does come down to wins. Uh, but it's not just saying, oh, well, you know, it's just because they're not winning games or a good coach. If they were a good coach, they'd be winning those games. And uh, just I had to do a little bit of research just to see, but the last time that the Cardinals actually traveled to the East or anywhere East that they went to, say, the East Coast, or whether it's going to be to you know a Philly game or anywhere else, they've not won a game on the East Coast since the Philadelphia Eagles game in 2015. So you're talking about almost uh, a season and a half, perhaps even two seasons worth uh, which we'll have to see of the team just not being able to win in back east. And that's going to bring up all sorts of Wizen Hunt comparisons again, but there's something fundamentally about this team that has changed uh, ever since that 2015 uh, night where you've seen the team that's gone from being a world beater just suddenly cool off. And I don't know how much of that's on Palmer or the team or how much they thought they had arrived, but it's just uh, interesting how much it falls on the coaching. Speaking of the coaching, let's talk a little bit about uh, Bruce Arians. Uh, There's some rumors that this is going to be his last year. Uh, The one question I would have to at least pose is how much of this blame is going to fall on him? And let's go under the the idea of what happens if this 
isn't Bruce Arians last year? What if he decides he wants to come back for another season? I'm curious to see what your response is to this, because do you think that the Cardinals should let Bruce Arians come back another year? That's one of the things that I pose to you now, at least just for curious to see what your thoughts are on that. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Like that, like that, that's such a good question. Like I haven't even, it's crazy to even fathom that because I haven't even thought like that's a possibility because I've been completely checked out of Bruce Arians coming back in 2018 since the heart problems and the fact that they didn't take a quarterback last April. I basically came to the conclusion after he had his, hospital scare the fact that they passed on a quarterback and that they went quote unquote all in for the second consecutive season um that they were he was going to be done after this season and then you you tie it all in back when they traded for palmer that they were tied together he and arians and that larry was year to year um i i don't know how i would feel about that i think i'd be open to it but i would also be you know semi-angry again with the fact that you know, why the hell didn't you take a quarterback? But then, you know, you also understand the idea of, well, Aaron's loves to play rookies uh, at the quarterback position. And he has said the best way to learn is to play. So I understand that, that mantra, even though I think he's also said, you know, I'm not going to play a rookie before he's ready. And I'm also (laughs) willing for that individual to sit. So he's been very much both sides of the coin, depending on whatever he feels or whatever. I'm not, yeah, absolutely. So I'm not sure what to, to, to believe. I do wonder Blake, if, if his style of play and you hate to say it because what he's done for this franchise and where they were when he came and he made them relevant in a time where they were, a complete bottom feeder in 2012, um, especially when they had some success um, really for the first time in the franchise's history with Wisenhunt became irrelevant again. And I I think really made them sustain relevance uh, for their longest period in franchise history from 13, 14 and 15, which a three-year run is, you know, comparable to a run that they had in the seventies and that's been it. And as sad as that is, um, you know, he, he deserves, you know, all kinds of, of accolades for that because it's just something this franchise hasn't had, but at the same time has this game and has this, you know, has this game evolved to the point where he needs to adapt and is he too old and stubborn to adapt? Have we seen that with his inability to make changes on his coaching staff, i.e. Amos Jones? Um, is he 
too much of a dinosaur when it comes to, you know, characteristics of his offense and the seven step drop. And, you know, the fact that he has a specific mindset in mind when it comes to a quarterback, uh, somebody who, uh, you know, looks a certain way, possesses certain attributes, uh, may only be a certain height and weight and has certain arm strengths and abilities and, and so on and so forth. So, um, I, I think it's hurt the Cardinals in, in some regard, um, come the off season in April's drafts. Um, but certainly we've reaped the benefits, um, during the season for the most part. So I think that it would probably be best at this point. And I know we have, you know, roughly half a season left to go here in 2017, <laughs> yeah, which is frustrating. And we'll do plenty of recaps here, but I, I think I would tell Bruce that, you know, take some time with your family and do what's best for you, but make it clear that we're going to do what's best for our franchise when it comes to finding the next quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals and leave the writing on the wall. But I'm also interested to see how Steve Kime feels about all this because, you know, I wonder, is it a situation where, you know, I, I understand that Steve's had the say in the draft room when it comes to picking the players, but he also wants to make sure that, you know, he's picking the players for Bruce to coach and they want to have kind of a cohesency when it comes to deciding what kind of players to fit Bruce's system and vice versa. But when it comes to that quarterback, you know, has he been a little bit gun shy? And, you know, we got to the point late in Ken Wisenhunt's career with the Arizona Cardinals that, you know, he and Russ Grimm were essentially picking the players for Rod Graves. Rod Graves, you know, was, was essentially a puppet for Ken and Russ. And, um, you know, things got out of hand quickly. I wonder if there's a little bit of that going on when it comes to Arian's influence as the quote-unquote quarterback whisperer. You know, he wrote a book about it. He's the self-proclaimed quarterback whisperer. You know, I, I love Steve Kime. He's had a couple of rocky drafts, but for the most part, I think he's a solid personnel guy. You know, he's a former offensive lineman. You know, he hasn't shown any kind of consistency in evaluating the quarterback position. I'm sure that Arians had a say in, in acquiring Palmer. He wanted a veteran quarterback. Uh, he wanted Drew Stanton. So uh, the one thing that, that Steve Kime hasn't been able to do is find that franchise quarterback. It's something that's eluded this franchise as well as a Super Bowl. And those things tend to go hand in hand uh, since his tenure here with the Arizona Cardinals. So um, I, I wonder how much say Bruce has had in that, in, in Steve's ear in drafting, you know, that, that young man every April or every May. So that's just something to keep in mind. And does Steve have the gusto to go into an April's draft and say, you know what, Bruce, we're happy to have you back, but this is going to be my guy um, moving into 2018, you know, this is who I want to go with. Can you coach this young man? Can you coach Baker Mayfield next year? He's six one. Um, he's a little unorthodox. He's got a nice arm. It's not great. Um, and I'm not going to sign uh, a veteran for you to back him up. Uh, can you, can you deal with that and see how it would go? I think that would be an interesting experiment because I think that the way this team is structured now and the, the way the salary cap is going to be figured with some guys do some uh, with extensions coming up and sure you're going to clear some cap space and we'll touch on it. I'm sure um, you're going to need the benefit of a, of a rookie quarterback on a, on a, you know, a rookie salary cap deal with a, with a fifth year option. 
that's something that this franchise needs to be able to rebuild this offensive line, to be able to rebuild this defensive line. Suddenly, suddenly this team has a lot of holes to be able to get back to a, con- a competitive standpoint. So just a couple things just to keep in mind, but yeah, go back to your original question. I would be absolutely shocked if Bruce Aarons returns. I think this season is taking a, a lot of, you know, stress on his body. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's had the opportunity to coach. I'm, as a head coach, both in Indianapolis for that interim season. Look, he's won two head coach of the year awards. He's been um, a head coach with a team uh, that's gone to the postseason. He's won a division championship. He's been in an NFC championship game. He's got respect around the league. Players respect him. He's well liked. I'm sure he's got endorsements, you know, outside of, of football that he's can lean on. Uh, he's going to probably play a lot of golf when he's retired, but you know, there's, there's, there's no scenario I can see where he's going to be like, well, I can take a rookie quarterback and I can mold him for five to 10 years. And, you know, that was always the biggest downside for me when we hired Bruce Arians that I remember talking to my dad about is why he couldn't get excited about the hiring was, you know, this guy's in his sixties. How many years can he give us? You know what I mean? Well, I said, well, Pete Carroll's in his sixties. Well, Pete Carroll looks like he's in his, you know, he's in his fifties. He acts like he's, you know, in his late, late thirties, early forties. So he's a different kind of guy, but that was always the downside. It was always, you always knew there was a shelf life on Aaron's coaching career. And thankfully we got the best out of it early on, but it looks like that it's going to come to a crashing halt here in 2017. Yeah. And, I totally agree. And part of that is just because of that quarterback situation. When you don't have stability at the quarterback position long-term, we've never had that because the team is best quarterbacks they've had have been, of course, Kurt Warner, late thirties, Carson Palmer, late thirties. It's just been a incredibly difficult process for many Cardinals fans because Arians came in with the expectation of Palmer is going to be our stopgap. We're going to make sure we find that quarterback of the future and that's going to be uh, part of what Steve Kime wanted to come in, too. I remember Steve Kime in the, one of their first press conferences, they said, you want to get a rookie quarterback, you want to start him at some point. Uh, he wanted to be part of the Ron Wolf school of quarterbacks where you were going to, you know, buy, get a, find a different quarterback every year, or draft another one every year. And we just have not really ever seen that. I think that with Arians, for my opinion, even if the Cardinals lose every game for the rest of the year, I don't think there's anything that you really have that, could really tarnish Arian's legacy with the Cardinals, nor do I think there should should be anything that tarnishes his legacy. Ken Wisenhunt had a, a great little run in Arizona uh, with 10-6 and six, uh, being his high point that he got to. Up until the 2016 season, that was the low point that Arians had this team in wins, where he got them to a different level of being able to see these 10 win seasons, um, being able to see a 11 win season, even with the likes of having to start a third string quarterback in the playoffs, the team was still competitive. They were up 14 to three at the half with a, and a kind of an incredible story, at least just of how he willed that team to victory and just how, they had their next man up philosophy and how the players had bought in. You looked in 2015 where they had 13 and three, their best season. You had the all or nothing show that came out and was able to capture in a highlight um, just how incredible the season it was for the Cardinals. And then you just got to see in 2016 after everything just kind of came crashing down with whether it was Palmer's arm, whether it was just the defensive philosophy changing, whether it was just the fact that they didn't have a consistent wide receiver threat. It was just an area where no matter what happens with Bruce Arians, I don't think he should have to pick up another bar tab anywhere in this town um, for what he's provided. 
but I think you can believe that and also believe that he should not be brought back next year. Uh, I believe that Kaim and Bidwell need to have a, a conversation, like you said, sit down with him because there's going to have to be changes made when you have a season like this. And I, right now the Cardinals are in, in step for a top eight pick. Palmer's only going to be back for the last two games. Uh, unless Drew Stanton or Blaine Gabbard are able to rally off a bunch of wins through the, uh, what we haven't even talked about yet, the toughest part of their schedule coming up. I really just do not see um, Bruce Arians being able to have this exact same staff come back next year. I think that they'll tell Bruce, you know, Bruce, uh, we love you. We'd love to have you back. We know we want to try to find a quarterback that you can bring in for the future, uh, whether Palmer comes back or not. I think that they might want him to be part of that process. Uh, but I don't, I don't see him being able to move on without his guys in James Betcher, without his guys in Amos Jones, uh, without Harold Goodwin, perhaps, if their offensive line is, keeps uh, giving up more sacks and struggling. I think that becomes an era then where maybe you look at Arians of just saying that maybe you have to have a tough decision. I know one time he already did have a kind of forced retirement by the Steelers. I don't think you can fire the head coach because it would be such a bad PR move. It would be a terrible way kind of to treat it for this. I think that you just need to have one of those conversations of him being able to accept that his time is kind of done. I think that Steve Kime also has to accept his time is kind of done. And part of it for Steve also is if you look at him, I, I don't see Steve Kime being fired at all. I don't even know why people are having that conversation yet. Uh, we've seen him be able to come in and revitalize this franchise, but when you don't have a quarterback and you start losing games in the NFL, at some point you have to recognize that either you have to find a quarterback or you have to get a guy who can be that quarterback for you. And if Bruce Arians is going to keep trying to go down kind of with this Carson Palmer at age 39 next year, I think he'll turn. Uh, I think that at some point Steve is just going to have to recognize he'll have to cut his losses to save his own job. Uh, and part of that is just because, as we've talked about before, he's backed himself into a corner. He's put himself in a position where he um, should have already had, if the team has had five years to be able to find uh, a future replacement for Carson Palmer. This is, it, it's kind of gotten to a point of where I can understand fans frustration. I can understand just how ridiculous it is that we're having to go into another off season of wondering who's going to be the long-term answer for this team. Uh, so overall, I was going to ask you at least speaking of Steve, Kemp, do you think that he's on the hot seat as well for these missteps? Do you think that he's uh, a, a GM who, if the team loses out, we should be questioning him at least for that one. I certainly don't, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. No, I don't. I don't think that he's somebody who I would label on the hot seat. I think he's not, you know, above criticism. And I don't think he would label himself as such either. I think that just, you know, 18 months ago, he was, you know, pro football talks, two-time reigning GM of the year. Oh, can you hear me now? I hear you. Okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't think... Steve would tell you that he is not above criticism, but I don't think by any means is he on the hot seat. Um, I think 18 months ago, uh, he was the two-time reigning pro football talk GM of the year. Um, and so it's, it's funny how things can change quickly. I think the, the, Boy, two, they uh, yeah, right. <laughs> the 2015 draft with assuming G.J. Humphreys can provide stability at left tackle Marcus Golden, uh, unfortunately, tore his ACL this year, but is a double-digit sack artist. And then, obviously, David Johnson in the third round. That's as good a draft as you're going to find in the NFL. 
Uh, but unfortunately, the last two drafts have been below average as they stand right now. Specifically, the 2016 draft is on paper uh, a complete miss. Uh, no impact players right now on the surface with the likes of Kim Dietschy and the rest of the uh, of that group. So um, fingers still crossed. But you know what does not help his cause is you know we've talked about it is the fact that. When you are consistently dragging your feet when it comes to finding the heir apparent to your 38-year-old immobile franchise quarterback, but you have come out and said year in and year out that it's a priority, I think that's a bad look. I think you set yourself up for criticism. I think that when you come out and you make remarks like, I'd like to take a quarterback every year in the draft or – I think this is one of the best quarterback drafts that I've seen in some time. These are these are remarks that he's made or that Bruce has made publicly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over the last several years that make you know fans frustrated. That you know, come late April, the team shows a lack of aggressiveness, and I think that's another criticism of Steve. Not to jump around here, but you know, you watch team give up draft capital to ensure that they get their guy. And I think that that's something that Steve probably overvalues. Um, I'm not crazy about trading up in drafts, but if, if it's for a franchise quarterback, I think that it's a no brainer. And I, I know that this is kind of piling on and, you know, you're living in the moment now with Carson Wentz, but he's a perfect example. Uh, Jared Goff looks like he's going to work out now. So Everybody laughed at the Chicago Bears. I, I think Mitch Trubisky, with the right you know pieces around him, could be a franchise quarterback. Um, there's no reason why Jacoby Brissett, if if Steve Kime supposedly wanted him as his you know heir apparent to Carson Palmer, or if had interest, should not have been an Arizona Cardinal. The, the asking price was not enough. And Blake, you and I have talked about it off air that we had some interest. But, you know, supposedly didn't want to give up the capital to move up or weren't aggressive enough. I I don't buy that you can't find a trade partner. There's always a trade partner. It's just what are you willing to give up? You look at the price tag that Houston and and Kansas City had to give up this year. Yeah, it was steep. But you look at the fact that the Cardinals play each year, it seems like, without their first rounder, either from the current year or the year before. So what's the difference from, from, from doing that while sitting of, you know, a rookie quarterback? I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. So I think that's a legitimate criticism you can make of Steve. I think he, he, he probably got caught up in the idea of, I only have Bruce for so long, I need to make the most of it, and I need to win a Super Bowl for, the, for this franchise and for the Valley, and I can respect that. Uh, and I'm sure he got caught up in that whole thing and probably lost focus on his ultimate goal. And I think it would be probably in his best interest to sit down, like you said, with Michael in the offseason and to reassess his long-term goals for this franchise because now you've put yourself behind the eight ball because Seattle is still in a position to be successful long-term with Russell Wilson. That franchise is not going away. Consistently, they're set up to win 10 games every year. The defense is still loaded. Um, San Francisco, we've talked about it every week has a ton of money, has a ton of draft capital, fully expect them to be in the market for Kirk Cousins. Say what you will. He's a quality NFL quarterback who's going to put up, you know, they may be fluff numbers, but they're he's a franchise quarterback in the same, you know, 
in the same realm as, you know, Matt Ryan, given, you know, year in and year out, if you give him quality weapons, he's going to produce for you. Yeah. You look at at Matt Ryan uh, being an MVP last year, Kyle Shanahan moves over to San Francisco. Absolutely. Kirk Cousins with the numbers he'd put up before they franchise tagged him. If you're looking at Kyle Shanahan and how Matt Ryan has struggled this year, that seems like you might end up looking at Arizona being a team where you've got Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins was in Shanahan's offense and plenty of capital and Jared Goff and a Rams team with Todd Gurley. That's running the football. You might end up being that worst team in the NFL. If you can't figure out how to be able to solve this quarterback conundrum. There's no doubt. And that's the way it's trending right now. And not to mention you have an old roster. So you couple all those things together and you're an old aging roster with some of your better players either exiting their prime or they're in their prime now and you're kind of left standing around not knowing who you are or without an identity or without a head coach. Um, And boy, oh boy, wouldn't it be great to have a young franchise quarterback to kind of rally around at this point. So I I don't understand. (coughs) I don't understand the mindset uh, again, of not pulling the trigger last April. I will never understand that. Um, again, talking up these quarterbacks the entire offseason, uh, the Patrick Mahomeses and the Deshaun Watsons and the Deshaun Kaiser. I feel bad. I feel terrible for, for what Deshaun Kaiser has to go to go through every week in Cleveland. I think that young man would have success in our program right now, sitting behind Carson Palmer. Um, I, I, he, to me, I think he, he'd be a perfect understudy to Palmer and even Stanton, if they wanted to sit him all year and, and debut him in 2018, I'd have no problem with that. If they wanted to redshirt him this year and, and debut him next year, again, at least you'd have an opportunity for to bring him into your program, get him on a weightlifting plan, get him on a meal plan where to prepare him for next year. But you're essentially wasting this season. You're wasting years of prime play from Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson and, you know, David Johnson's on the shelf and you're wasting years of, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, who's you're wasting his final year of his season. I mean, it's just, it's, it's sad. It's depressing. And, and um, you know, most of all, it's just, it's disappointing for a lot of people that invested into this team. And to me, that's the biggest criticism you can make of Steve Kime. You know, I, the, the Calais Campbell situation, Blake, and I, I just quickly want to touch on, you know, Steve's, sure. Steve's situation with his decision not to resign Calais Campbell. I think we all thought at the time that that was a decision that <clears throat> we understood. We thought that, okay, Calais is a, is a figure in the Valley, but at the same time, we understood that that was probably an overpay. I mean, he was by far the highest paid free agent in free agency. I think he was, you know, paid much more, I think something to the effect of 30 million guaranteed. And we were all happy for him. Yep. So we were happy for him, but they were banking on Robert Kemdichi to, to provide that interior rush. And it just hasn't happened. Not only has that not happened, but Calais is a legitimate candidate for defensive player of the year. Um, he is having a phenomenal season. He is putting up, insane crazy numbers this season to where he could break the single season sack record. He's on pace for, I believe 23 sacks this season. Um, I think the record is 24, maybe 24. Um, And so yes, that looks bad, but again, Calais Campbell is not 
helping this team win a championship this year. Clanch Campbell alone is not helping this team get to the playoffs. If Carson Palmer's hurt, if David Johnson's hurt, uh, it's going to help the defense some. Uh, I think that schematically he probably fits a little bit better in Jacksonville. <clears throat> and again, Calais Campbell is in on the other half of 30 and he's not going to be on the books next year for the Cardinals when they're clearly going to be rebuilding. So uh, is it a bad look for Steve when you're overpaying Tyron Matthew right now who can't move? And when you drafted Robert Kim Dietschy, who may or may not be a bust already in year two, of course it looks bad, but it looks nothing in comparison to being super, super ultra conservative when passing on the likes of, and I say passing, and I, I truly believe it's passing on Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes because that's what you did. You knew that Houston and Kansas City were going to come up for those two quarterbacks. The teams in front of you knew that they were coming up and you had an opportunity to match or to offer more and you chose not to. Those That to me is much more egregious than not paying Calais Campbell. That's just yeah. That's just my thought on that. Definitely. And I think with when that comes with Steve Kime, where his analysis of the team this year was that they still had a chance to compete. And so in hindsight, you could say, you know, maybe you'd be better off with that quarterback and that long-term stability moving forward. He didn't think that at the time they thought that they needed to get uh, a defensive player to rebuild their defense after losing guys like Calais, losing guys like, you know, Tony Jefferson, uh, losing guys like DJ Swearinger, who they all have seemed to replace this year. The one guy they haven't been able to replace is Calais. And so you get to look at Arizona going from the number one team in sacks in 2016 to now being, I believe it's like a 27th and merely just having just Chandler Jones because Marcus Golden was still struggling to start the season with getting pressure. So I put a lot of that on the coaching, uh, but I think a lot of it does fall on Kime as well. And that's where it's an area where for me, I want to sit down with him if I'm Michael Bidwell and find out what his plan is for fixing this problem. What is his plan moving forward? What's his plan going to be a quarterback? Because if some of the rumors that either I've heard or some of just kind of the natural thought process has been with looking at Arians, veteran quarterbacks who might be available, if Steve Kimes' plan for fixing this situation is to keep uh, Arians and his staff ready, trade a pick for Alex Smith with the Chiefs ready to move on, and they enter the same problem all over again, then I just don't think that you can really move forward with Steve Kimes. I think that he's backed himself into a corner. He's made his bed he's going to have to lie in it now and I think what that means is he's going to have to actually take a risk evaluate a quarterback uh, be able to get that quarterback and then find a coach who's able to work with him and coach him up and I think that we're in agreement right now just looking at the top quarterbacks this year that just doesn't seem to fit uh, Bruce Arians mindset whether it's the mobility or whether it's just the type um, I I think that that's just a huge uh, huge issue we'll have to look at let's go and talk a little bit about just since we're at the bye week, let's preview a little bit of the rest of the season. We're going to be looking at Drew Stanton and Blaine Gabbert until at least December 24th, perhaps longer if Palmer has a setback. Uh, but just looking at the next couple of games, you've got the 49ers, and this is a game, as I talked about, is you can't really call it a trap game when you're 3-4, and four, but I think this is a game where the Niners are going to smell blood. They've been desperate for a win. You almost kind of hope that the, um, that the Niners are going to be able to try to get a uh, – a win this week just because they've been so desperate and even though they were blown out last week by the Cowboys and the rushing attack you just really hope that they can kind of get that out of their system because if they're coming in looking desperate uh, and I believe actually their uh, upcoming game is actually against the Cardinals since they are on by this week they're going to be desperate for a win 
they're going to be coming out smelling blood with Drew Stanton, remembering that beatdown that they had last year. I don't know if you can be able to count on them for that. You also then have the Seattle game on Thursday night. You've got um, just games coming up that are going to be some of the toughest part of your schedule. The Texans from week one to now are looking to be one of the best teams in the NFL behind Deshaun Watson. Uh, the Jaguars are putting up insane amounts of point differentials with their defense winning games for them. So if the Cardinals decide to move on to Blaine Gabbert, you may end up having Blaine Gabbert against his former team and Calais Campbell against his. And the outcome of that might look very, very poorly if the Cardinals and Steve Kime and Bruce Arians just will reflect poorly on them. Yet another game against the Rams who've been looking to be along with the Eagles. Maybe they're part of the class of the NFC this year with Aaron Rodgers out. The Titans are going to be a team that'll be a bit healthier at that point. You'd hope with Corey Davis, that it's a home game at least uh, before they have to play the Redskins and their pass rush on the road. And then at that point, that's when we start talking about getting Carson Palmer back. So the question I want to pose to you, Johnny, is what do you think as far as for the Cardinals with their wins before they get Palmer back against the Giants and the Seahawks? What do you think that their record might be at the end of the season? Like they're already in eighth place for a draft pick right now. Uh, I don't see this team tanking. I don't see Arians wanting to give up. I don't think he's going to trade for a quarterback, honestly, at all. It'd be pointless at this point to do so. But what do you think this team does over the next few weeks or the next few months? And where do you think that the record might lead at this current pace? Well, First of all, they have the second worst port differential in the league behind Indianapolis, and I, I think that could only get worse. Uh, I think that we could see a couple more scores that could mirror the Rams game, that could mirror the Eagles game, that could get out of hand quickly. Uh, this The two Seahawks games come to mind, especially if Carson isn't brought back uh, at the end of the year, if David isn't brought back at the end of the year, and the Cardinals have to go to Seattle, and Seattle is battling with the Rams for that a playoff spot or the division on the line. I think that game could get incredibly ugly. Um, but I, I think the Cardinals are probably going to eke out maybe one to three more victories. So in the neighborhood of, um, you know, five and 11, six and 10, I think five and 11 is probably where I'd saddle them at. Um, I think if they don't win um, the, the Sunday game against the Niners on November 5th, um, and I don't expect them to. Uh, I think it's going to be a long time before we see them pull off another victory. Um, the Thursday game against Seattle is going to be just an embarrassment. Um, the fact that they're trotting out Drew Stanton on a nationally televised stage um, against the Seattle Seahawks is is very depressing, uh, and we'll preview that game. That, that's going to be incredibly frustrating on, on all accounts, uh, especially if they are able to beat the Niners and and technically in, the, in still the playoff race and the division race at four and four, um, then having to go to the Houston game, uh, visiting the Texans and watching Deshaun Watson put on a show against our defense and thinking about what could have been um, just, just a lot of, de- lot of feelings, a lot of depressing feelings involved in that one. Uh, the Calais Campbell game, him returning back to Arizona. Um, that's a winnable game just because of the fact that they struggled to score points Um I could see the Cardinals winning that game. Inconsistencies from the Titans and Giants, those are winnable games. Just uh, later in the season, I think Washington scores too many points for the Cardinals to be able to hang, especially in D.C. That's, a, that's an East Coast trip. I think they're you know guaranteed to lose. And then, obviously, we touched on the fact that they got to go to Seattle to end the year. So I think in the neighborhood of 4-12 and 12 to 6-10 to and 10 is probably the most likely uh, – 
end game for them. Um, so I, I think they end up probably around pick number five to seven, uh, which isn't a bad place to be in a year like this, but is not going to guarantee that you get one of the marquee names at quarterback. And we're going to have plenty of time to talk about who those individuals may be. But again, if Steve Kahn wants to make me a happy man, he'll uh, package some of those picks and, and try to move up depending on who's picking in front of us and who's behind us and that kind of thing. So, yeah, and definitely. I think that'll be um, interesting to watch because <laughs> Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to watch because the uh, worst record that Ken Wisenhunt ever had was 5-11, and 11, and that was his last season with the Cardinals. And they moved on because they felt that Ken did not have any sense of the team moving forward, and that was where the regime turned over. So it's just interesting to see the parallels of these former Steelers offensive coordinators. You see success with an older quarterback. It's been almost bizarre in that sense. Uh, just looking at some of the early draft order right now, you're looking at teams like the Giants, who will be still playing, the the Niners again are probably going to be locked into that number two spot unless Cleveland starts winning a game or two. Um, Indianapolis, of course, has just been terrible, and Andrew Luck's probably not going to play. It'll be interesting if the team will be able to get passed up because uh, with Baltimore actually uh, went on a huge 40-0 to win tonight uh, against the Dolphins. Uh, that's going to be, I know, from, we're, you can tell we're recording on a Thursday night now, but they're at the seventh pick, and even with uh, Joe Flacco leaving, they seem to find a run game tonight against the hapless Dolphins. And with their defense being as strong as they've been, I, I just don't see them being able to keep a uh, to keep in that order ahead of Arizona. I think you're going to be looking at, like you said, a, a top five pick. Uh, I think is very possible for this team, just because uh, this is a team that struggled to win games when Carson Palmer was the starting quarterback and would just look poor on defense. They're not going to be getting anyone back or better on defense unless Kandichi turns out to be uh, incredible. And I, I don't think we can even. It's not even a question right now, at least for that, it would just be if he can have an impact. I think that this team could very much be looking at a top five pick, but this year, uh, and with that, let's move on just kind of the last talk of the night to let's talk a little bit just about Carson Palmer's legacy. I know you talked about him earlier as a top three Cardinal. I, I think I would just say that I think he's a top three Cardinal quarterback. I, I think that clarifies it for that one. There's so many great Cardinals throughout the years. Um, but I was just wondering, what do you think about his legacy and where do you think that the Cardinals next quarterback will be coming from as we wrap up tonight? Yeah, absolutely. That's totally what I meant. Top three Cardinal quarterback of all time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not Adrian Cardinal Wilson's going to have something to say to you. <laughs> yes. So if anybody wants to come beat down my door, um, he, along with um, Kurt Warner and then whoever else you want to throw in there, you know, Neil Lomax or, um, Anybody else that you want to put in there, I don't have a problem with. But um, Not Max Hall. Never, never Max Hall. No, not Max Hall. Nobody else. Um, so Carson's legacy is that he came in when this franchise needed stability and um, was somebody that you could rely on uh, for that first season in Arizona through 24 touchdowns and put up some nice numbers, 20 or 4,200 passing yards, I believe. Uh, the next season, that that 2014 season, to me, really was the lost season because that team, I think, probably could have won um, or at least competed for a championship. Uh, Carson looked phenomenal that year. Uh, again, blew out his knee against uh, these, you know, godforsaken St. Louis Rams and uh, 
were embarrassed in the postseason when they were down to Ryan Lindley of all people, but um, he was off to a phenomenal start that year. I, I believe he had like 11 touchdowns to, you know, just one or two interceptions that year and had a, a really nice start to the season. Then the magical year of 2015 when he had, you know, the best single season a quarterback really has ever had for an Arizona Cardinal quarterback rating of 104, 35 touchdowns, 4,600 yards passing. Uh, we've seen what the Bruce Arians offense is supposed to look like at, at max capacity with John Brown, Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Floyd, JJ Nelson, David Johnson. I mean, that, that was just the highlight of the Bruce Arians tenure. Uh, unfortunately it came kind of crashing down with the Palmer finger injury. Uh, and then the, 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 the debacle in um, Carolina late in the season, but I don't diminish what Palmer did that year. I think he was phenomenal. Uh, and then he still had statistically a pretty nice season last year, 4,200 yards, 26 touchdowns, and was on pace this year to have around 25 touchdowns and, and uh, about 4,500 yards. So he was just the model consistent quarterback. Yes, he was going to throw his interceptions. Uh, a lot of them would leave you scratching your head, and he would have those um, sack fumbles that would leave you you know, second-guessing why we didn't have a quarterback with mobility. But at the same time, um, you know, he was a guy who could really thread the needle when you gave him protection. Uh, and if the Cardinals had any kind of resemblance of a quality offensive line during his tenure, I think he could have been, you know, a consistent Pro Bowl quarterback. And he's somebody that really for what they gave up, a conditional six-round pick, uh, it's one of the biggest steals, maybe the best trade that's ever been made in the history of this franchise. Uh, as for who will be the next quarterback of this team, uh, I'm not going to name the podcast that I listened to today, but it almost made me drive off the side of the road that I, when I, when I heard it, because basically it left it, you know, up for grabs when they said that the next quarterback could very well be found in free agency once again. And they threw out the likes of Joe Flacco. Um, and it, you know, made me want to drive my, my car, you know, you know, into a ditch, but preacher Cardinal quarterback, Joe Flacco. That was the thing we said. And then Joe won a Super Bowl. fortunately for us in, in 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he actually played, I guess, pretty well tonight before he was concussed. So we, we need several more quality stars from Joe Flacco. So the Baltimore Ravens are forced to keep him. So um, <laughs> exactly. I think, I think that if, if there's any hope out there that, that we need about five or six quality college quarterbacks to play well, this bowl season so that they are um, good enough to be drafted in the first two rounds of the NFL draft so that Steve Kime will finally pull the trigger and find us a franchise quarterback because I cannot take um, continually taking on other teams, handoff, cast off quarterbacks. Um, Kirk Cousins to me is the only one that is worth taking a flyer on. But to me, even with Kirk Cousins, this roster, by the time I think to get this roster to the point where, you know, Washington and Arizona's rosters, I think are pretty comparable. And I would even argue, you know, roster has, or Washington has a superior um, roster offensively. Uh, I think that, <coughs> excuse me. I think that by the time you would get it up and running off, um, you know, offensively again, um, you know, Kurt might be out of his prime. And so you're going to pay Kirk cousins a ton of money that's where San Francisco has the advantage. San Francisco has a ton of draft capital that they can swing for 
other players, veteran players. They can spend high picks on, you know, Saquon Barkley. They can trade picks for, you know, wide receivers or whatever to get Kirk immediate help. They can give him the, the fat extension that he needs. The Cardinals can't afford to do that. Um, and so they just, they present a lot of options. Plus the connection with Kyle Shanahan. Um, you know, I've, I've seen some Cardinal fans on Twitter, you know, float the idea of, of bringing in Kirk Cousins. There's just, there's zero chance that happens. The, nope. the best, the best chance for the Cardinals is to finally draft and develop a quarterback, find one in the draft, like normal people do. Yeah. And that's been, uh, the other thing I've seen on the other end has been a lot of people have been having, uh, this obsession with Jimmy Garoppolo with the Patriots. And it just reminds me so much of all these people who are looking at Matt Castle as the answer with, uh, when he came out and had that great 11 and five season with new England. It's just an area where when you watch Garoppolo on tape, Belichick designed the offense around eliminating him having to throw deep. Uh, he just basically, he was sure he was calm and composed, but new England's scheme was, I think a lot of what manufactured him. And like we've talked about the biggest issue with bringing in, whether it's Garoppolo or uh, any other type of veteran quarterback who might hit the market is just that the price tag is going to be in a different area than it would be for, uh, for drafting a quarterback you're going to be probably paying at least just look at what mike glennon got this off season um and he isn't even starting for the team anymore you're going to be looking at automatically a tag uh, of maybe 15 million or more and if it's garoppolo with that contract extension you're probably going to be looking at 20 million plus and in that sense you're you're setting up the guy for failure you're not going to be able to have enough cap space to be able to replenish the guys who are leaving on the defensive line like peters and rucker to be able to have a d line you're not going to be able to get the guy an offensive line and if this is truly Larry Fitzgerald last year, you're not going to just want to leave him with Chad Williams and JJ Nelson as wide receivers. So I think that with this team, and it's tough to ever say, cause you never want to see your quarterback go down, but because we finally have some of this clarity about who the Cardinals are this season, you finally have some clarity of that. They're going to basically be a team who's in the market potentially for a new quarterback. And it's not an Arians MO to ever tank. It's not in times MO to tank. And that's a good thing uh, because that's how you, breed losers is by uh is by you know losing on purpose but it might be that this is the time where we actually get to see the team uh, if they don't win a lot of games this season look to the collegiate ranks look for a head coach who's going to be able to adapt to one of these quarterbacks and i think that might be the the best hope that the cardinals will have looking forward into the future uh and i think that's what we'll be doing a lot of for the rest of the season um it's just kind of knowing that this team is not really built to win now this isn't even a team that's going to uh, win in the meantime at least until Palmer comes back so I, I think that we're going to be especially spending a lot more time talking and breaking down these quarterbacks with every single loss that uh, Cardinals chart up down the stretch uh, you're going to start hearing more and more talk at least about looking at these quarterbacks and that's something we'll be doing next week we'll be doing uh, uh during the bye week we'll be having a kind of draft special where we'll be looking specifically at how the Cardinals players have done their draft picks in the last few years, looking at some of the positions that will be upgraded. And we'll kind of do another breakdown, at least, of just where these quarterbacks are. Uh, we're now about six, six, uh, six or seven games into the season from when we first kind of previewed the Darnolds and Jacksons. Uh, even Baker Mayfield, like we've talked about him quite a bit, at least. And part of it's just because of having a guy like Russell Wilson in the division. But we'll be taking a look at all those next week. Uh, so I hope you really get, thank you guys for tuning in again. Uh, Johnny, tell them where they can find you and converse with you on the Twitter sphere. Yes, if you would like to argue with me on Twitter weekly, daily, it's at Johnny's Football, J O H N N Y S Football. Uh, yeah, come argue with me about anything and everything on Twitter. 
we're on there pretty much every hour, flubbing around, doing God knows what, not being productive at work, whatever. Uh, same, same. Yeah, yeah. And then you can follow me uh, at Blake Murphy Seven, also under Red of the Birds. Uh, I'll also be having an article up next week that'll just be breaking down what exactly went wrong with the Cardinals. Why, why did this team go from being so good to so bad? And the old answer I just thought for a spoiler, honestly, is because Kyle did not really do a good job of investing. You know, talent, talent where you get a return, return for investments that were made and small, small investments he got. He hasn't gotten much out of it. We're doing a lot more of that in depth. Um, thanks, thanks again for tuning in to Bird Game Blitz. I'll uh, see you guys all next week. Take care. Take care. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.